electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Julia Borston, and you're listening to CNBC's Tech Check. Our show is live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. Good Thursday morning. Welcome to Tech Check. I'm Carl Quintanilla with uh, Deirdre Bosa and John Fork. Today, stocks under major pressure, as you can see, following that 50 basis point rate hike by the Fed. NDX losing more than five and a half trillion in market value this year. More than 95 percent is in the red today. Elon Musk sells another big chunk of Tesla, but one firm says now is the time to buy. We'll talk to Oppenheimer's analyst who names it a top pick. And then the street thinks chips can once again be key growth drivers in this market. AMD, NVIDIA, Marvell and others as top picks, although definitely feeling some pain today. We're going to begin the morning, though, with markets moving lower. Our next guest sees a recession on the horizon, doesn't think the economy can keep up as rates approach 2007 levels, with U.S. GDP having doubled. Joining us this morning, Northman Trader founder, lead market strategist Sven Henrik is with us once again. Sven, great to have you. Hi, Carl. Great to be with you. So um, I know for for a moment there, there was a period where you be, you were beginning to think about how to get more constructive. Is that gone for now? Yeah, we were constructive there definitely mid-October. I mean, the, the technicals told us this a big rally was coming and into possibly the weekly 50 MA on the S&P. And we got that actually this week. I'm still kind of constructive because, uh, you know, we're, we're entering a really positive seasonality period here into year end and beginning of the year. Uh, but obviously the reaction we just saw in the last couple of days is both technical but also exacerbated by the Fed's hawkish stance, at least on, on paper so far. What do you think breaks? Uh, is it going to be credit? I mean, is this going to be a wave of defaults? Is it more about earnings disappointing, um, valuations not being able to keep up with earnings, or a combination of all those things? It's a combination of, of all of these things in, in context of a historic script. Look, the Fed funds rate basically yesterday pointing to 5.1%, which brings it awfully close to the 2007 level highs. Keep it simple. In in 2007, debt to GDP was 60%. Now it's 120%. And what we're seeing now in, in terms of the lag effects of the Fed rate hikes, we're seeing it in the data already. I mean, industrial production today, retail sales, you name it, it's all starting to slow down dramatically. So in that sense, the rate hikes have the effect. The problem is the Fed has not accounted for the lag effects yet, and they're coming in, in hard. There is no way the economy is can sustain an extended period of higher rates at 2007 levels with the debt construct we have right now. Government interest payments are going through the roof, $734 billion already in Q3. This is only going to get higher and more stringent next year. So my premise on all this is that following the historic script, basically we're going to actually see rate cuts next year, even though the Fed is currently in denial mode. Why? Because... CPI is actually going to come down hard. Uh, the Fed funds rate at 5.1% will meet a 2 to 3% CPI rate sometime next summer based on the year-over-year rollover math. And then the Fed will actually look to have really aggressively tightened. And, and historically, even Volcker back in, in the 1980s, once the economy enters into a recession, the rate cuts are coming and they come rather aggressively. Right. I mean, and then in a sense, if we are in a significant recession, what the Fed does perhaps starts to matter a little bit less than than what the economy is actually doing. So I wonder, based on what we saw from November retail sales and given what you're saying about the, the Fed being behind the curve, what do you expect the reaction to be to the market reaction to December retail sales? A lot of people hoping that that Black Friday cyber week uh, surge that we saw is going to hold up over the next 10 days or so to Christmas. But I think there are questions about that. Yeah, look, I mean, we can we can still see a splurge into year end. I mean, don't forget Americans motivation to spend is, is always strong. But what we've seen this year, obviously, in the data is an incredible push into credit card debt. You know, this, despite claims that there's all these excess savings, the spending patterns in, in terms of credit cards vis-a-vis anything else 
indicates that a lot of Americans are in distress. And let's not forget, companies are preparing for layoffs. We're already starting to see that process. Buybacks are coming out. So this this economy is going to face a lot more tightening next year in this in terms of a real sense. Keep in mind, this year, the Fed had originally forecasted for this year 4% GDP growth with a less than 1% Fed funds rate. Now, what the median Fed funds rate for this year ended up being 2%. We ended up the year now at 4.25%. And that means next year, we're going to be at a Fed funds rate on, on the median basis, 4 to 5%. Yet the Fed keeps insisting on 0.5% positive GDP growth. Makes no sense whatsoever as we're doubling this. So I'm, right. I'm, I'm sorry, you know, the, probably the every every Fed economic forecast should come with a disclaimer, you know, believe it at your own risk. But Sven, just to push back on that, the Fed is looking at wage growth in the labor market. You and others, I know, say that CPI is going to, as you just said, come down hard next year. You're looking at things like commodities and used, and used car inflation. Um, but those make up a much smaller proportion than wage growth. So, you know, what makes you so confident that we're going to see that come down and that the Fed actually has room here to reverse course? I, I don't think they have room to reverse course. They will ultimately have to reverse course. Look, even in the Fed's own forecast, now their, their unemployment forecast for next year has crept up a little bit to 4.6%. Newsflash, show me one time in history where the Fed has even got remotely close to projecting the, the labor market weakness into a slowdown. And the answer is absolutely zero. They're off by a mile every single time. So I, I would be cautionary here when I hear Paul say that, yes, companies don't want to lay off and probably try to avoid doing that. But that's just not what's going to happen. Corporate profits were at a record high this year on the heels of obviously the stimulus the year before, but also being able to pass through inflation related price hikes. That's all going to come back to an end to next year. And these margins are going to come down and companies will do what they will have to do, which is cost cutting. And that means jobs. And that's what we're already seeing in the tech sector. And we're starting to see it with some banks as, I, as well. So this is a process. Right. Sven, yeah, I, I understand what you're saying. In terms of the tech sector, we are seeing those layoffs. Those could increase next year. But even if it does, that's a very small part of the job market, right? We need to see layoffs at the services level, um, don't we? And what kind of, what needs to happen for us to see that proportion of the economy see layoffs? It's it's a process and it's coming. I have little doubt about that. Look, at, at the end of the day, all these companies are facing the same issue, which is cost of carry and margin compression. So yeah, earnings estimates are still too high. Could I be wrong on all this and we have a miracle, um, shallow landing with no real recession? Yeah, I guess suppose it's pos possible, uh, but you're gonna have to disbelieve yield curve inversions and, and everything else at, at this point in, into the highest debt construct uh, from, from a rate hike perspective. So I think this is a, this is a pretty obvious case in terms of history, uh, and we're we're going to find that the maybe the dot plot by the Fed that does not presume any rate cuts until 2024 uh, is going to be again to be seen as much too optimistic on their part. Hey, last uh, last thing, Sven, you have looked at NDX, the long-term trend, which you uh, point out has been defended successfully a couple of times. Can that happen again, given the fact that? Many believe there's plenty of operating leverage within tech uh, to keep earnings strong if they do uh, reduce headcount. Yeah, despite what I just all outlined, I'm still kind of structurally positive here from a technical perspective, at least for a little bit and to year end, maybe into the early part of 2023, because the technicals have been so clean this year, the long-term trend has held. And at the same time, we're forming bullish structures still on S&P and NDX on the weeklies, despite the weakness that we're seeing now. And in fact, this week on both NDX and S&P, we got to the downtrend line, rejected again. And the more often, from a technical perspective, the more often you tag a trend line, the weaker it tends to get. So if bulls can hold kind of basically, let's say, the 50-day moving average here on, on the S&P into next week, uh, I suppose we can still have another crack at this here towards year end at the beginning of the year. But then I suspect uh, uh, any larger rallies into early next year will probably present a selling opportunity for an ultimate low around 3231 on the on the S&P uh, once the recession hits. 
Interesting. Not too far off from what, from what some of the major desks are arguing about Q1, that's for sure. Uh, Sven, look forward to uh, tossing it around in the next uh, couple of weeks with you. Thanks so much. Sven Henrik. Thanks, Carl. Thanks, guys. Meanwhile, we got a downgrade of Snap this morning. Also in the ad landscape, Netflix lower following reports that they're letting some advertisers take their money back after missing viewership targets. Julia Borston's here with us on that. Julia, what's going on? Well, John, let's get a gut check on Snap first. Those shares are down about 9% on a downgrade to Snap to hold with a $10 price target. Uh, the firm saying we, this is Jeffries saying, quote, we believe that Snap will continue to face several headwinds, including that Apple iOS 14.5 privacy changes, a worsening macro picture and intense competition. Noting that while many of these factors are well understood, revenue estimates still appear too optimistic. Now, it is worth noting that those Snap shares are down over 80% year to date. Now, turning to Netflix, Digiday reporting that the streamer is letting advertisers take their money back after falling short of their ad-supported viewership guarantees that they made to advertisers. Now, the publication reports that shortfall amounts vary by advertiser, but in some cases, Netflix has delivered only roughly 80% of the expected audience. So that is according to an unnamed executive, and CNBC has not yet verified these reports and has reached out to Netflix for a comment. We haven't heard back from Netflix yet. But I just want to note, as someone who has covered the TV industry for a long time, that it is not uncommon for broadcasters to deliver what they call make goods to advertisers when viewership falls short, saying you didn't get the viewership you wanted, we'll make up for it somewhere else. So it is unclear how dramatic these shortfalls are. But regardless of all that, Netflix shares are down nearly 8%. John? But Julia, given that this is the start for their ad tier and they were so confident out of the gate about how well it would perform and how popular their content is and how well they would be able to target, it seems like maybe they would have underpromised. So, um, so is this reflective of an overall possible digital consumption or consumer slowdown? What, what would you say is the broader lesson here if indeed Netflix is under, uh, underperforming? Look, this is certainly not a good headline just about six weeks after your launch of an ad-supported service. Obviously, you want to be really strong out the gate, out of the gate. But one thing I'll say is that Netflix warned many times that they're going to start slow. They're going to iterate that this is not going to be a static ad product, that they're going to continue to learn and make it better. So I think there was some warning about this um, from the start. But many people in the ad industry said that Netflix was very bullish on their own capabilities to target and reach all these viewers. But a lot of it can come down to these weird, you know, quirks of viewership trends. If there's a show that they expected to be a big hit that's less popular than expected, or there's a shift over to Disney Plus because of some new content over there, maybe they lose some kids' viewership. So there are so many factors that could be at play here. I will be very curious to see what data Netflix itself reveals about its ad targeting, but not exactly the greatest headline uh, when you're trying to launch a new ad-supported product, both for advertisers and also for consumers, raises some questions there. Yeah, not the greatest headlines. I think that's right. Netflix down 8% almost. Uh, Julia, thanks for laying that out for us. We're going to stick with the ad market and snap and bring in Jeffrey's analyst, Brent Thill. He is the one who downgraded the stock to hold this morning. Julia laid out the case. Brent, um, maybe talk about what she was just laying out in terms of Netflix and some of its advertising challenges. Could that be a good indicator for snap and other social media companies? There were worries that Netflix and Disney's ad tier models would maybe take dollars away from them. Our house view at Jeffries is that we're going into a hard landing versus soft landing. The first thing you do in a hard landing as a corporation is you cut your ad spend. It's the first thing that goes because you can dial it up and down like a stereo knob on your car or at home. And right now the knob is, is turning down. And as we go into Q1, I think the environment's going to get worse. The consumer's softening uh, weak retail sales obviously suggest that retailers will probably spend less as we go into Q1. So we think we've got an air pocket and there's no visibility. With no visibility, you know, you sit on the sidelines until the fog bank clears before you can take off again. And unfortunately, we just don't see that happening mm. uh, in, until sometime into the first half of next year uh, with line of sight in the back half of next year. Now, the question is, if the recession starts in Q3, like Jeffrey's economists are predicting, next year is going to be a, a tough year for the whole year. Uh, with line of sight then going to 24 numbers. 
So uh, right now, I think, again, we're, we're in a holding pattern. And until we get better visibility, uh, I think the whole ad industry is, is somewhat in a tailspin. Uh, obviously, Amazon, Google, uh, some of the other proven names, you'll see uh, wallets go from experimental to proven, and they'll incrementally probably take some market share in the short term. And obviously, Netflix is uh, early in their transformation here. So uh, I think we're, we're pretty bullish about what they can do over time. But, you know, short term, it's, uh, they're trying to get, get that off the ground. Yeah, we have seen some notes this morning uh, that mention the ad space, uh, Brent. One is one argues that ad market's been deteriorating for most of the year, but actually has added to that deterioration, accelerated to that deterioration, uh, really in the past month. Does, does that fit your checks? It, it, it does, because I think what's happening is you're seeing broader corporate America lose some energy and steam, you know, across many subsectors. And again, it's just the first thing that can get cut. It's not a requirement, it's a, it's a nice to have. And yes, everything's gonna to continue to go digital. Yes, we're bullish about the long-term trend. The short-term, you can't have, you don't have any visibility. I mean, if you go back and look at Snap's numbers in the last three, four months, when they talk about the variability that they saw in their, their core business, and then you've seen weakness in salesforce.com in their marketing and commerce cloud, You've seen weakness in Adobe's marketing cloud. You, you, see, you see it everywhere. You see it in software. You see it in, in digital advertising. Again, I think it just matches what we've historically seen when we fall uh, markets going into a recession. And again, we believe we're in for a hard landing. It's, it's the first thing that goes. So it'll come back, and it will be one of the first areas that comes back when uh, the world recovers. But I think right now that recovery is, is you know uncertain it doesn't happen in early 24, does it happen in late 23? That's right. the unknown for right now. Speaking, so, uh, speaking of uh, Adobe, we do expect to get some more insight from their report this evening. It's kind of one of those off cycle, late cycle reports. Uh, interesting to hear what they have to say about uh, Marketing Cloud. And, and I'll speak to Shantanu Narayan, the CEO, uh, tomorrow exclusively on that. But what's happening? Are you watching digital consumption? Roblox this morning is down 16.5% on missing the bookings number, just as we're getting this report about Netflix as well. And then there's questions about Snap and the overall ad, digital ad market. I mean, is there something here? Is there a, a thread, a line to be drawn through the weaker November retail sales, digital consumption slowing down, and then digital advertising also slowing down? perhaps because of an overall economic slowdown, and then also perhaps because there's just less activity out there for uh, advertisers to take advantage of. Yeah, I mean, I think we're in a broad slowdown. And again, we're going into a hard, harder landing. So think about it right now. If we're in a period where this is where advertisers want to spend because they want to capture us into the critical holiday period, and they're pulling back the throttle, what are they going to do in Q1? I mean, it's going from, you know, eight on the throttle down to two. And so I think Q1 is going to be a very dark period for advertising in the short term. And then the question is, is you know how long will that last? And I think we've seen this again to your comment, John, on Adobe. I mean, they lowered numbers last quarter. Everyone knew they had to lower. They brought the number lower. You know, the question is when there's one rat in the kitchen, is there another rat? Meaning, do they have to cut again? And, and certainly we, we've heard uh, they're in a great fundamental position, but again, no one is immune to what's happening. Google, Adobe, Salesforce, all these companies are seeing the same thing. It's not like we're picking up one data point and saying, you know, yeah, that's a one-off and someone's taking massive share. That is not happening. Everyone is getting hit. So in the short right. term, again, it's it's the best advice just to, to sit, out, sit out the storm and wait for it to clear before you get back in. Brent Thill, thank you. We are seeing more selling pressure. The NASDAQ now down 3% in the S&P 500. John, losing that 3,900 level. Yeah. Uh, and still to come this hour, Tesla named a top pick, plus the highlights from CNBC's conversation with the CEO of crypto exchange Binance. Tech Chat, just getting started. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? 
Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. As Sam Bankman-Fried faces charges in the U.S., other FTX executives could fall. Former FTX Digital Markets co-CEO Ryan Salome told the Bohemian Authorities, Securities Commission, excuse me, on November 9th that at least two other executives were responsible for using customer funds to cover losses at Alameda Research, according to U.S. court filings. The FTX drama continues to ripple across the industry. Net with withdrawals at the world's largest global exchange, that's Binance, have topped $3.6 billion over the past week, according to blockchain research group Nansen. Bankman-Fried and FTX had paid Binance between 2 and $3 billion to buy out their stake in the firm, but in part with FTT, that token, which is, of course, now defunct when CZ was pushed on Binance's liquidity. Here's what he had to say. We're financially okay. Including you have $2.1 billion to give away if somebody came to, reclaw, to claw that back, you'd we'll, still be fine? We'll, we'll let the lawyers handle it. Our fin- we are financially strong. Guys, the most, one of the most interesting things, there was a lot in that conversation that I thought he said was, we don't rely on trust, we verify. But then he went on to say that nothing is verified. We do not have a complete picture of proof of reserves. We do not have an actual audit. And when pressed on whether he even has $2 billion in the bank, he said, we are financially stable. Are we just supposed to trust that? I mean, at least with Coinbase, we know they have $5 billion in the bank, John. We know none of that. Maybe that's the only thing we do know, that we don't know anything. He's in a tricky position, right? Because, yeah, there are a lot of auditors who don't want to touch this with a 10-foot pole, Carl. I mean, what's the upside to, to pitting your reputation to signing off on crypto firm stability now, right? What's, I mean, why not wait until halfway through 2023 and see how this shakes out? Do you really need that contract right now? Um, but at the same time, that sends a message to everybody in crypto, who's invested, hey, got to be careful on the regulatory side, you got to be careful on the balance sheet side and, uh, and the, the faith in the crypto market side for those exchanges that do need people to believe and perhaps don't have those reserves as much as we would hope. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I would love to see what some of the audit firms uh, think about the fact that they are the argument that they are unable to evaluate some of these companies. One thing we know for sure is that Kathy Woods Ark did buy more coin uh, yeah. last night, almost 300,000 shares, D. I mean, auditing should be straightforward. They need to see what they have in the bank and do it just like they are able to in terms of Coinbase. And also, guys, we've been hearing from major players in the cryptocurrency industry that audits are possible, like Tether, over a year and a half ago now, told me that they were months away from an audit, and that has never materialized. So, you know, a lot of questions still remain. It's, it's not surprising, perhaps, though, that auditors don't want to touch it, but you got to ask why. Yeah. Coming up after the break this morning, Elon Musk selling another huge chunk of Tesla. Uh, despite that, Oppenheimer does name Tesla a top pick, saying the stock can get back to $400 a share. We're going to check in with that analyst when we're back in two minutes. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. I'm Christina Partsnevelis, and here's your CNBC News update at this hour. A number of economic reports raising recession concerns and pressuring stocks this morning. We've got retail sales that reversed last month's rise and fell six-tenths of a percent. The drop in part due to lower car sales, lower auto production also drove a surprise drop in industrial production just last month. Two regional reports are also showing manufacturing activity is contracting. The Federal Reserve surveys from New York and Philadelphia posting weak numbers for both orders and shipments. And then the labor market is still showing signs of strength. Weekly jobless claims fell unexpectedly to 211,000, the lowest level in nearly three months. In Europe, central banks are following the Federal Reserve's lead and raising rates. The European Central Bank and the Bank of England both hiked interest rates by half a percentage point. The ECB also said it it expects to raise rates significantly higher because inflation remains far too high. John? Christina, thank you. The largest tech companies continue 
to be in the thick of today's sell-off. Steve Kovac has a beat check on some of the morning's hardest-hit names. Steve? Yeah, John, shares of the five mega-cap tech names falling with the rest of the market this morning, with losses increasing a bit later. Apple shares down about 3.5% this week. Bloomberg reported Apple is working to allow those third-party app stores on the iPhone in compliance with a new law in the EU that will go into effect in 2024. If more countries impose similar regulations, Apple's lucrative app store business could be at risk. Over to Microsoft now, shares off 3%. Uh, just last week, FTC sued Microsoft in an attempt to block its $69 billion acquisition of the video game publisher Activision. That deal could take longer to close than Microsoft's target of June of 23. Meanwhile, Amazon is down as well, off about 4%. But it's the two names relying on the digital ad market that are getting hit the worst. So far today, Meta and Alphabet are both off more than 4%. Perhaps to sign investors are more worried about the ad-supported social media companies within this group. Deirdre, I'm going to send it back over to you. Steve, thanks very much. We're going to stick with the sell-off. And joining us now on the phone, Satori Funds, Dan Niles. Uh, Dan, I know that you are up on the year. You've been calling a lot of this. Where do we stand right now with the NASDAQ down nearly 3%? Yeah, unfortunately, I think with the, um, and we put out a tweet on this yesterday in front of the Fed, um, you know, our feeling was get out of the way of that. And then when you saw the ECB this morning and their statements and, you know, we put out a tweet on that, but the, the thing that stuck us was the, the, the sentence of, quote, we should expect to raise interest rates at a 50 basis point pace for a period of time. And then later on saying we had longer to go. And we are in for a long game. And so I think, you know, you combine that with, the, with some of the fundamental news we got this morning, and more importantly, how the thoughts are reacting to it. So Netflix and, you know, the story out that they were turning ad dollars to advertisers because they're just not getting the viewership um, that they expected. And obviously that stock is with them. Dan, I think we're having some audio issues, so we're going to get that sorted out and come back to you. Um, We're going to go to a quick break right now, and up next we've got exclusive results. We're going to stay here, actually, guys. Um, Carl, as we noted, the S&P breaking that 3,900 level. I heard Art Cashin tell you earlier this morning that that was a key one to watch. Could, you know, we could expect more heavier losses if we do break that. Yep, uh, definitely in line with what Dan was saying, and we'll work out the audio in a moment. But uh, the commentary uh, out of Europe and the ECB, the notion that the market is underestimating their resolve. Uh, At the time we talked to Art a few moments ago, guys, we were above 3,900. He did warn about breaking that level. Also, John, NDX uh, below the 50-day for the first time since pretty much November 10th is, uh, is getting some attention. Also the idea, John, that there's few places to hide. We've talked about the ad market, uh, financials getting hit on some of these credit card uh, delinquencies. Uh, semis obviously challenged on some research, travel downgrades. Uh, there's a lot. There's a lot. And there's a real economy underlying all of this, which I think is so important to remember. And sometimes we see that reflected not only in things like the retail sales report that we got today for November, but also in some of these earnings reports. You know, in Intuit, it was really interesting to hear about credit karma being hit because uh, some of the loan issuers out there, the credit card companies, are less willing to deal with that kind of subprime market. You line that up with the fact that consumer credit, you know, people are feeling more stretched and their savings are getting extended. And then you look at what's happening in consumption. Roblox, again, down more than 15% this morning Mm -hmm. because the bookings aren't holding up, D. And so when you look through all of that, and we're in that stretch 10 days before Christmas where the consumer needs to show up, and there are all these signs of fatigue across physical Mm -hmm. and digital, you got to question what that means for positioning heading into 23. And again, we're going to get... A little bit more data, I think, from mm-hmm. Adobe uh, out of earnings today. Big picture on uh, ad spending, on the health of e-commerce, and perhaps whether that continued mm-hmm. after that big launch week after Thanksgiving. But that, to me, uh, underlying is what a lot of this is about. Yeah, and Adobe is so important, as it has been all year, because it is a late reporter in the earnings season. Things moving so quickly this year. I think we've got Dan Niles with his back with us and hopefully fix the audio issues. Um, Dan, John's been talking about sort of the consumer side of this picture, but I know looking to next year, you think that enterprise could be the next shoe to drop. Yeah, absolutely, because, you know, John's right. I mean, you've got to go back three years, right? So COVID hits, everybody gets on the Internet, 
They have to get their businesses on, so they buy a lot of enterprise software, hardware, services, everything they need. And you're sitting at home, you're buying all these consumer goods. And as John talked about now, you're seeing the give back from that, right? Consumer demand's falling off because what are people doing? Well, now they can go out. So they're going to restaurants, hotels, vacation, doing all of this stuff. And so their revenge spending on these experiences, they bought all the goods they needed. They bought the smartphones, the PCs, and the you know, Peloton bikes, etc. And so what you're going to see going into 2023 is now as all of these companies are setting their budgets for 2023, they're saying, well, we're going to have less employees. We need less software to support them, less hardware to support them, less cloud services because we don't have as many people using it. And when companies report the fourth quarter and guide for 2023, that's when things are going to start to get ugly because the enterprise companies is where all the high multiples are. The high multiples aren't sitting in the PC vendors like HP or, you know, Dell. They're sitting with all the software vendors where people have somehow made this mistaken assumption that they're immune. And now they're getting a wake-up call that, you know what, growth at Salesforce slowed. You're going to see it across the board. Those guys are the bellwethers and the ones you need to pay attention to. Hey, Dan, why do you think, I mean, we've been treated with analogs all year long, uh, charts that look at S&P performance after CPI peaks, uh, charts of S&P performance after the Fed pauses, two things which we think we're getting, uh, and I wonder why you think the market doesn't feel like it's going to agree with a lot of those analogs. Because people are looking at the wrong analogs. They're not looking at the analogs from the 1970s. That's what you need to look at, because the last... 50 years looking at any of that data after 1980 is irrelevant. 1970 is when you had high inflation. And if you go back and you look at that, you had you needed rates coming down before the market bottomed in, I think, 1982. They were coming down for like a year. And the, the reason is you've got high inflation that you need to kill off. And the problem is, is that you've got 4 million more job openings at about 10.3 million against people unemployed at 6 million. And everybody's so busy focused on the layoffs at the wrong companies. You take all of the publicly traded companies in the United States together, and they're less than 25% of all jobs in the United States. Those jobs are sitting at small and medium business. And the thing is, we're all going out and consuming all of that stuff. We're going to hotels and restaurants and pizzas and, you know, movies, et cetera. And it's going to take a much harder recession to kill off the jobs in the small and medium business sector, and that's what's driving inflation. So that's why all of those analogs that you have people coming on talking about just don't make any sense because those were in periods of low to declining inflation. You're dealing with really high inflation, which you got a decade's worth of data, but nobody wants to look at it because for, for obvious reasons it's depressing. Right? You've had P multiples go from 20 times to 12 times on a trailing basis on the S&P. You had high inflation. You had Volcker, who didn't want to raise rates to where he did. He, people forget he cut rates, and then he was forced to raise them again. Yep. And yep. he didn't want to so do, do that. Think, Nobody wants to be the bad guy. So do you think that, you know, Morgan Stanley, uh, J.P. Morgan, calls for S&P 3K to 3,300? That is that a legitimate reset, or do you think that needs to? Is, is, could it be more dramatic than that? Should it be more dramatic than that? Well, you got to remember, um, uh, Carl. We ended. We came into this year saying we thought the S and P would be down at least twenty percent. So we were pretty early on this when the market was hitting all time record highs, and then in May we said down thirty to fifty percent is what we revised it to in May, and down fifty is about twenty four hundred on the S and P. 2,400. Now, by the way, that's not that aggressive downside. And the reason I say that is if you say, well, during a normal recession, you have 20% reduction in EPS estimates. So EPS peak for the S&P 500 at 250 in July, down to 235. I think it goes to 200. And then you say, well, if CPI is over 5%, the trailing PE multiple on the market over you know 70 years worth of data is at 12 times. So you do 12 times 200 in earnings, that gets you to 2,400, which is where we get the down 50% from its peak. So, you know, that's why we, you know, yeah, it could definitely undercut that, but 3,000 so, is sort of the estimate we've had since May. 
So cash here then, I mean, I'll note we're, we're down about 750 on the Dow right now on the S&P. We are right about at that level that Art Cashin was talking about last hour uh, to watch for the close 3,900, maybe a little bit below that, the way things are moving, we are a little bit below that. Uh, is, is it worth uh, staying in, the, staying long here for some folks who for that 10% upside when you see potentially 20% uh, or more downside from here? I know you've uh, had some, you, you've done a long short thing throughout the year, bias toward uh, short, but expecting uh, post earnings, October or earnings pop, which we got, is, is this enough? Yeah, I mean, it's a complicated answer to your question, John, but here's the thing, and you touched on this earlier, right? Netflix, uh, or I think you touched on Netflix, they had to return money because they weren't get the viewership necessary. That's a fundamental data point, stocks down 7%. Roblox not hitting its numbers, you know, for the bookings for the quarter. Obviously, stocks already gotten crushed. It's down 17% on top of the beating it's already taken. Uh, so the fundamentals are... Are, are poor. They're going to get worse. I think you're going to see a wave of pre-announcements. Apple, I'm waiting for them at the end of the, you know, the, the quarter or early next year. You know, they've pretty much told you their numbers are too high. Um, and that thing's sitting at a 23 PE and the S&P's at 18. So you combine earnings going down with multiples still really high, and you don't want to try to pick up pennies in front of a steamroll. And so that's what I would tell you going into the end of the quarter, because now you've got to fess up. You've got to actually report your numbers mm -hmm. and tell people how you're doing and the rubber hits the road. That's not, I think, going to go well. And looking at how stocks are reacting, it's not like Roblox is up today, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. It's not like Netflix is up today. So that I tells you there's still a lot more downside. Yeah, Dan, I don't think you're alone in terms of thinking that earnings expectations are still too high. Dan Niles, always great to get your insights. Thank you. We'll talk to you soon. Coming up next, exclusive results from the CNBC Technology Executive Council survey. We are back in just 60 seconds. As part of the CNBC Technology Executive Council survey, we asked executives, including CIOs and CTOs, about how they plan to make their companies stronger with mass layoffs on the horizon. Frank Holland has some of those results, joins us now. Frank? I do, John. You know, layoffs in the broader economy on the minds of these tech leaders, as you mentioned, CTOs and CIOs, and more than a third say that right now, today, we're in a recession. We're going to show you the numbers in just a second. Another third believe we could just be days away forecasting a recession in the first half of 2023, and then we see 13% Right over here, optimistic. They're saying there is no sign of a recession on the horizon. Our survey of CIOs and CTOs, it began on November 18th. We were in the middle of a wave of layoffs in major tech companies, an estimated 50,000 in November alone with some signs that more layoffs could be on the horizon. So it was in that environment that 57% of tech leaders in our survey believe that the layoffs, they're actually an opportunity for their company to bring in top-level talent, why 35% said they expected to face issues keeping their top-level talent due to those same layoffs and job cuts. Only 9% believe their company would not be impacted at all. Another snapshot of the job market, 43% said finding qualified talent was just about as difficult, just about as easy as it was in the same time period in 2021. 35% saying it was actually more difficult. Only 12% said it was actually easier. These tech leaders still seeing a tight market for labor. And while companies are searching for talent, they're also looking to spend more on new technology. Over the next 12 months, nearly three quarters say they're going to spend more on new tech. That's new hardware and software with just under a quarter saying they're going to spend just the same. So the spending continues in this survey. It actually raises some questions about the IT spending slowdown. We're hearing so many companies talking about, John. Yeah. Then again, last month feels like a year ago. <laughs> Greg Holland, yeah. thank you. Thank you, John. Tesla, meanwhile, was one of the few stocks in the green in the NASDAQ 100 today, now about flat. That's after news last night that Elon Musk sold another 22 million shares worth north of $3 billion. That stock having a rough run now, down 55% this year and 30% since Musk's Twitter deal closed. Of course, investors concerned with Twitter's impact on Tesla shares alongside other challenges, including macro headwinds. Joining us now, Full Cycle founder and managing partner Ibrahim Al-Husseini, who was an early Tesla investor and Oppenheimer analyst Colin Rush, who just named Tesla a top pick for 2023. Welcome to both of you. Ibrahim, start with you. Um, how, how much of a concern is this 
Tesla selling, you think, especially that it's paired up against Twitter, which is in such a, a different uh, industry and in such need of capital? Hi, John. Good to be back. Good to see you. Um, I don't... Um, so Tesla's a brand, right? And that brand is being tarnished on the daily because of Musk's behavior publicly on Twitter. Um, you know, you buy cars, I buy cars. You know, we know that a car is a cornerstone of a consumer's identity, at least for a large subset of consumers. Traditionally, Tesla's said, I am a, you know, technology forward, environmentally conscious global citizen. And that is no longer the case. Now it is a confused brand uh, where it is, you know, it, that brand is associated with a founder that attacks uh, Fauci. He, uh, you know, promotes um, characters that are anti-Semitic. And it is really has turned off a lot of the buyers. I mean, right now, I remember when we used to talk about how proud we were of owning a Tesla and now if you look at social media, the biggest thing you see are people taking screenshots of them canceling their order. So right. this the brand is tarnished. So, Colin, um, some of the bulls like to say that the fundamentals haven't actually changed all that much, given his distraction with Twitter. But what Brahim just laid out there, the brand, that feels pretty fundamental. I, I agree with it. You know, it's, it's a real concern and it's happening in real time right now. What we've been looking at is on the technology side where Tesla continues to strut out in front of competitors and, and I think is being under uh, underappreciated for the innovation that they've done within the EV space and the material space. But the, the brand issue and, and the long-term impact of that is a legitimate concern. And and beyond that, you know, the, the debt low that you guys were talking about earlier from Twitter impacting, you know, Tesla shares because of the selling is a concern, right? And as we start to get a little bit more clarity on that, we, we think there's some support for Tesla. But from a fundamental perspective on the technology side, we feel very good about this. But the premium that Tesla's gotten in the market uh, from a pricing perspective is potentially at risk. And and so one thing we haven't seen uh, the company do is uh, spend aggressively on marketing. And at the point that we start to see that, that could be a real signal for you know the the challenges on the the sell through for the vehicles. Ibrahim, I wonder um, if you think that perhaps um, people are reading too much into what's happening at Twitter. I mean, when you look at Tesla, yes, it has fallen significantly over the last few months, but really it's come in line with the rest of FANG and big tech losses over the last year, year and a half. Yes, except that its P.E. ratio is trading even after a, you know, 58 percent drop in, in the <clears throat> price of the stock. It's still trading at a 50 times multiple on its PE while Alphabet is in the mid-20s, GM is in, I think, something like uh, in the single digits. So I think the days of Elon Musk performing for his vast retail um, um, stockholder base is behind us, because that's what he's been doing for a long time, because Tesla uniquely has something like a 42, I wrote that, like 42% of their stock is held by the by retail investors. And while Alphabet right here is that, you know, retail investors are at 18%. So he can get away with things, at least he used to be able to get away with things based on who is holding the Tesla stock. But I think those days are over because he as a, I guess as a market mover has lost a lot of credibility. And remember, a lot of those retail investors only entered the investment space in the last 14 years where all we've ever seen is just growth, growth, growth. This is the first time they've ever been confronted with a recession. You know, we've lived through uh, many of these. And this is when you actually know yourself as an investor or not. It's through right. these hard times, not when the market goes up for 14 years straight. So, Colin, is Tesla with an asterisk then uh, just sort of as long as Elon Musk stops doing some of the brand damaging things that he was doing and, and starts focusing on the fundamentals, kind of like Zuckerberg with Meta, as long as he stops spending so much on the metaverse, the core business is actually doing pretty well. So I'm going to disagree with uh, some of the fundamental, you know, multiple uh, commentary here. Tesla's earnings power is, is actually fairly, uh, fairly impressive when you look at the potential growth for this company. As you look at the company executing against a 50% growth metric, getting an enormous amount of uh, operating leverage off the platform, we see, you know, the company earning 18 to 
$20 as they reach 5 million vehicles a year. Now, with a growth metric that they've talked about uh, as their target, that's 2026. And so from a multiple perspective, we're not con- you know concerned so much around at these levels, especially that the multiple is too high. What we're worried about is that there's larger backlash around Musk and his behavior. And so, yeah, I, I think there, there's a point around Musk doing uh, damage to the, the Tesla brand. But from an earnings power perspective, we think there's actually a lot of upside here from the, the current estimates out on the street. Yeah. And how much does all of that, though, affect those growth projections for 26, given we're going to have some kind of a landing, hard or soft, we'll see. Uh, anyway, Ibrahim, Colin, thank you. Thanks, John. Good to see you. Tesla, definitely one of the rare bright spots today, because look at the tape. Uh, NASDAQ down almost, uh, well, better than 3%. And you can see we have definitely lost 3,900 S&P. We'll be right back. Let's get a check on the markets. Uh, the major average is deep in the red right now. We got the Dow down more than 800 points, which translates into nearly 2.5%. The S&P down below a key 3,900 level, also down more than 2.5%. And the NASDAQ faring worse of all, uh, down more than 3%. And with that, Let's get to chips. We've got a pair of analysts out with their top ideas in semiconductors for 2023. Cowan picking NVIDIA, Morgan Stanley bullish on AMD. Let's bring in Cowan's Matt Ramsey and Morgan Stanley's Joseph Moore. Welcome to both of you. Matt, start with NVIDIA. So your price target on this 220 would have it up 30% from here. Does that factor in a recession of some sort or do you think NVIDIA is immune? Hey, John, thanks for having me on, Joe. Good to see you. yeah, uh, we uh, we definitely named NVIDIA as our top pick. Um, I know Joe's going to talk a bit about AMD as well, which is kind of second in our pecking order of, of stock picks for, for 2023. And uh, yeah, we, we factored in a lot of things in our analysis, John, uh, the fact that, that the market in, in Russia is now uh, a zero for a lot of these companies, um, some turbulence in China, some uh, the fact that crypto is sort of permanently gone from the revenue streams some inventory corrections in gaming. Um, and, and they've felt a lot of the pain in NVIDIA already. And what's around the corner are product cycles in their biggest businesses. A, um, NVIDIA is the AI computing company across all vertical industries and in the cloud. Um, a, a brand new hopper product cycle with significantly higher prices. Uh, a new gaming uh, product called Ada Lovelace, which is their new gaming GPU. Um, mm-hmm. As the channel clears through their January quarter, I, I think we're going to see a a pretty big rebound in their gaming business and uh, a, a huge investment for the company in autonomous driving um, chips and simulation in the data center that's okay. just now starting to come into revenue. So we factored a lot so of those then, things in, but it's a good year coming ahead. So then, Joe, uh, Joseph, when it, when it comes to AMD, is your argument that their either PC exposure is not so extreme that the consumer slowdown is going to significantly hit them? Or do you think the holiday season is going well enough that there won't be uh, a significant inventory overhang that's going to haunt them into the new year? Yeah, look, I think there's some near-term risk for for AMD and for most of these stocks uh, in semiconductors. You know, this is in the context of a relatively cautious industry preview. But I would say that uh, the two stocks we're talking about here are the two stocks where I feel best about achieving consensus numbers next year. Uh, you know, the PC market is meaningfully de-risked. Their business, AMD's business, is down close to 60% in client. Um, I think that's enough to burn off inventory and, and, and get a recovery next year, even though the full-year number is down. And then data center is is weak in the near term as well. So I think there's some some risk around that in the short term. But I feel good about next year's targets. You know, you're looking at very strong share gains. You're looking at uh, a, a cloud market that, while there are cuts, uh, AMD taking a higher percentage of that. And I think w- with enduring strength in those markets. And this is the worst performing large cap semiconductor stock in 2022. So I, I think they've executed very well. Their competitor has stumbled on the server side. So I would say, you know, you need to be using this period of weakness to, uh, to build positions, especially relative to this group. Matt, I wonder, uh, you know, a lot of the the negative commentary that we get about the space overall uh, is that the weakness in, say, phones is not going to be offset by any acceleration or channel clearing in gaming or uh, certainly in autos. I wonder if you think that's fair. Yeah, but the group overall, I mean, one thing that I've 
noticed over the last year or so as we've gone through some of this pain for the whole semiconductor sector. And there's not just one semiconductor cycle. The cycle in PCs and gaming is very different than the cycle in memory, is very different than the cycle in automotive, uh, and they move at different paces. I think what the two stocks that we're talking about here are ones that went into some of this pain earlier. Um, NVIDIA with the, the, mm. the collapse of crypto computing and some things that happened of, of um, exclusion from being able to sell their AI products into China, um, AMD of what happened in the PC market maybe a bit earlier. And, and, and as we've talked here, there are, there are catalysts for both companies in terms of average selling prices, in terms of margins, in terms of share gains that are coming into next year. But uh, there's some pretty market-specific things for both NVIDIA and AMD that, that we're fired up about. Um, very, very different than what's going on in the, the smartphone market. Joseph, um, we're almost out of time, but just briefly, let me ask you, uh, what kind of recession does your model factor in, and did that change this week with Powell's presser? Yeah, we're certainly looking for weaker markets next year, right? I have AMD's PC business, for example, down close to 15% for the full year. What's interesting is that implies a significant sequential recovery from the levels of Q4. So, you know, it, it's it's not, they're not immune by any means. It's not the trajectory we had a few weeks ago. Uh, but I think that, uh, you know, I continue to be optimistic that consensus estimates are achievable, even in a tough economic environment. Guys, appreciate it very much. Obviously, uh, it is, a, I, would, I would argue, John, uh, definitely one of the hardest spaces to read right now, given uh, the fact that there are so many cycles within a cycle. Yeah, you got that uh, enterprise consumer split and you've got what's happening in data center versus what's happening on the client side and all of it affected by the macro. Meanwhile, guys, uh, pronounced weakness. And don't forget, uh, tomorrow, uh, $4 trillion in options expiration. Goldman today saying that's going to be the biggest OPEX in two years. Uh, so you think today's interesting. We'll see what the morning brings. For now, Dow down 800. You've been listening to CNBC's Tech Check. You can always catch us live weekdays at 11 a.m. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 